Good evening. We're glad you're with us this evening. You were given some printed material when you came in. Please hold that aside for just a few minutes, and I'll introduce what we're going to do and explain what that printed material is about. I have no objection, no hesitation to speak of Bible study as fun, not fun in the worldly sense, but enjoyable, exciting, accompanied by insight, discovery, and always with good promise if we take what we've studied from God's Word and make good application. About that, listen to these quick references. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalms 119, 16, and 24. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalms 112, 1. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. John 4, 34. And add to that Psalms 34 and verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In Psalms 119, verse 48, I lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I meditate on your statutes. And you've heard this one. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making wise the simple. In Psalms 19, 7 through 10. Do you see, there is great joy in reading, studying, and reviewing God's Word. It is a rich treasure that never gets old or dry. It nourishes us. It builds us up. It disciplines us for hard work that is ahead. It keeps our attitude straight. It informs our choices. And I think all of this can be described as fun. To open your Bible and dig in like a journey into a beautiful place with so many things to see and appreciate and remember. But sometimes the task of personal Bible study may seem intimidating. Where do you start? Is there a process? Are there some reliable steps that you can follow into the text? I hear people sometimes asking for help. So here's what I did. I took some of the simple things that I do in Bible study and I put this on paper and on the screen, you'll see it in a moment. And I want to take you through this, and I call this Bible study in five perspectives. God's Word is the truth. We want to get that truth clear in our heads and then in our lives from the text of Scripture. But it doesn't always just jump off the page into your head. There's some work to be done. There is some concentration to be applied. There's method and process that might be able to help. And I call this, therefore, Bible study, five perspectives. So you have your Bible open to a page. We're going to be in Romans 1 tonight. We're going to see how this works 
in Romans 1. And you're looking at a passage. And first you look for truth about the context of that passage. What's around it? What did it mean when it was first written? What is the historical setting of it? And what is the main idea here? Then does the passage say something about God? About Christ? What does it say about man? What truth is there in the passage specifically for me that equips me to serve God better? Or that maybe convicts me of sin. What is the truth about me? And then what is the truth I need to obey? How do I activate that truth about me? Now, not every passage in the Bible will be immediately responsive to these five levels. There may be some historical narratives in the Old Testament that really have nothing specific to say to you no direct personal application. In those cases, you add information to your accumulated knowledge base of Bible history, and that's valuable. But in many places in Scripture, especially in the New Testament epistles, all five truth perspectives will be present, ready for your discovery. And this may serve you well as you read and study the text of Scripture. I want to show you how this works tonight in Romans chapter 1. And then in a few weeks, in fact, maybe next Sunday morning, I'm going to do this on a Sunday morning. And I'll do it in James chapter 1 the next time I do it. The purpose is to get our focus on the text, to help us concentrate, to get us engaged in personal Bible study, and so have this sheet ready, and in Romans chapter 1, we're going to see how this works. And I'm going to begin by reading Romans chapter 1. You always want to start with your reading of the text that you're going to navigate. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, 
that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There's so much packed into Romans chapter 1. We're not going to cover all of it. But I want to show you how these steps can help you get into the text and get something out of the text for yourself, for you and for me. There is, first of all, truth about 
context. So let's look at some very simple things about historical setting when this was first written. Written by the Apostle Paul, sent to the church in Rome. Verse 7 says, those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, these are specific people, recipients of this letter. A group of people who had obeyed the gospel and now together as a church in an environment and a culture that was hostile. Following the introductory opening statement, what we want to get our hands on is the main idea. Here is the problem the gospel of Christ was given to solve. When you read Romans chapter 1, and you want to get your hands on one main idea to begin your study, I think that's it. Here is the problem, Paul says. The gospel of Christ was given to solve. That brings us to this. Before you really appreciate a solution, you need to fully know what the problem is. The main idea here is the problem is sin as described in these verses, and then as widely exhibited in human practice in the world. The first chapter of Romans reminds us there is a problem and it is sin. So that is an overview of context, truth about context, and the main idea of the text. Number two, truth about God. And when we say truth about God, we mean truth about God that's in the text, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. There is so much about God in the opening chapter of Romans. The gospel is called the gospel of God. It was promised by God concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we focus on truth about God, we mean not only the Father, but the Holy Spirit and the Son. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. So take that truth about deity with you all the way through the book of Romans and into your life. Jesus Christ is Lord. And the preaching of the gospel is intended to bring about obedience to the Lord, obedience of faith. The problem is sin, and sin is a problem because it is against the will of God. Sin is offensive to God. And we know that we are growing when sin becomes as offensive to us as it is to God. This speaks clearly of God's wrath against sin. Now, after chapter 1 in Romans, there's God's response of grace through Christ's offering of salvation by His death. That's the gospel. But before Paul gets to the solution, he identifies the problem, sin that is offensive to God. So you have truth about the context, 
you have truth about God, how offended he is by sin. Next step, number three, truth about man. If you'll look with me in Romans 1 from 18 down through 32, what you can do that may be helpful is if you highlight phrases in your Bible, if you underline a phrase in your Bible, there are phrases here that speak to the sin in the human race. Suppressing the truth. Not honoring God. Not being thankful to God. Exchanging the truth about God. All of these phrases, I've given you just a few, from 18 down to verse 32. Words and phrases describing man's sinful condition. That's truth about man. You see what we're doing? We start with context. And we get our hands on the main idea of the passage, Romans 1. We look at truth about God, in this case, how offended he is by sin. And then truth about man, man who generates and chooses this sin that offends God. So you start with context, you make discoveries along the way, and you come face to face with man's problem sin. Let's dig a little deeper. Observe three things we learn about man in these verses. Man has no excuse. Verse 20, they are without excuse. Why is man without excuse? Because of the abundance of evidence of God's existence and power for his invisible attributes Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, conclusion, so often introduces conclusion, they are without excuse. The glory of God and the power of God, the existence of God is around us in the intelligent design of the universe and, and human bodies, human life. It leaves man without excuse. Number two, man fails to be grateful. Man fails to be grateful to God. It is striking to me still today, after many years of reading this, that lack of gratitude to God was one of the steps away from him, deep into sin. Such a simple thing. To recognize God's existence and then his blessings and to be sincerely grateful, knowing that gratitude is part of what keeps us faithful to God, what keeps us near God, what keeps us wholehearted. Number three, man is described here prefers lies the truth. The book of Romans, and especially this opening chapter, is vividly relevant to our time because all around us we see it every day, we hear it, we read it on social media and news outlets. People are perfectly content to reject the truth and embrace lies. Now, is that a modern phenomenon? I guess not. 
since Paul identifies this in this catalog of sin in the human race. Just in Romans 1, when we apply these steps, there's so much to learn about God. Start with context. Look at the main idea. Truth about God who is so offended by sin. Truth about man who chooses that sin and falls into that sin. Next, truth about me. Truth about you. Now that may be the hard part. Accumulating and discovering information in the context, seeing what the passage says about God and about man in general, may be one thing, but what about me? What about you? It may threaten our pride and independence to, to try to read ourselves into anything in Romans 1 from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. If we bring ourselves to the Word of God with humility and honesty, there are questions we have to raise and answer before God about anything in 18 to 32 that we may participate in. But here's what we may do. Here's what we may be tempted to do. We look into the text and we see sexual immorality, murder, hatred, malice, and all this awful dark stuff that I would never do. Maybe this is about somebody else. I know it's about those pagan Gentiles and savages, uncivilized, brutal, and violent people. No, this has got to be about somebody else. I'm, I'm just not in this list are we just a little too defensive when we read this? Do we sometimes strain to protect ourselves against rebuke that may be painful? Do we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? Paul mentions that later in Romans. Could there be truth about me in this passage? Truth about you? I'll tell you what, go back to verse 21. One step away from God is not being grateful. Now, I look at myself and I may never have any thoughts of murder or the other dark sins that I see in the list. But am I capable of not being as grateful to God as I ought to be? See, we may be in this list. We may be here. Look at what else is here. Envy, gossip, boastful, disobedient to parents. If we admit to any of these sins, even in what might be wrongly perceived as only a little, our admission means we need the gospel of Christ. See, that's the whole point of Romans 1. There is a problem and a solution. Before we appreciate the solution, we need to know what the problem is. And at this point in our study, we need to examine ourselves. Perhaps I argue in my defense, perhaps that is a default position that works to my own destruction. I think this is where there's another passage that may help us. In James 2, verse 10. I'm, I'll read James 2. 8 down to 13, and you'll see the verse 
that I'm talking about. Sometimes when we read a passage that has a long catalog of sin, we want to read ourselves out of it. But we may then say, well, I'm in it just a little bit. Listen to this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. The false comfort that keeps us from admitting guilt does not help us at all. It pushes us away from righteousness provided in Christ. Always in your Bible study and reading, look for truth about you, truth about me. Get the main idea from the context. Look for truth about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. Explore what the passage might say about man, then make it all personal. What does it say about me? But then there's another step to take. You can't just say, well, here's what it says about me. What are you going to do? Brings us to number five, truth to obey. All right, I read through the list of sins, and I come to a point where I see myself somewhere in that list. I've not perfectly kept God's law. It may not be murder, gossip, envy, disobeying my parents. It may be a lack of gratitude or in some other way living outside the authority of Christ. I find myself in the list, I admit my sin, then what am I going to do? Verse 5, the obedience of faith. That would include repentance. Repentance that Paul talks about over in Romans chapter 2. Right after he identifies the sin that we may find ourselves in, he talks about repentance. The book of Romans, it might be said, <coughs> has bookends. And those bookends are obedience. Look at Romans 1 verse 5, the obedience of faith. Then look at Romans 16, 19. Paul said to the Romans, your obedience is known to all. So Romans has bookends. It's the obedience of faith. Beginning of the letter, and the end of the letter. Now, you supply context to that by reading everything in between the bookends. And you understand what faith in Christ is and what obedience of faith is. You come in contact with his deity and his death for our redemption, our confidence in that testimony and the evidence of it leading to our faith that ought to find expression in repentance and obedience. That's the truth for us to obey as we read and study the book of Romans. So, when you open this book, you need to also open your eyes and your mind and take the time to explore and discover and take delight in the law of the Lord. And this 
is one way that you do that. We've done it tonight in Romans 1. You can do it with other passages, and I plan to do that. Truth about context that you gather from the passage, where you capture the main idea. Truth about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit. Truth about man in general. Truth about me and you in particular. And then what do I need to do? Truth I need to obey. The obedience of faith. I hope this helps you. Keep that sheet with you. I have others I can provide. And you can fill those in as you engage in Bible study. Let's be standing as we sing.